So we come to the end of our Star Trek The Original Series podcast run, I think, unless we decide to go back and record another one, but I think we're we're going to move on. So today we're going to talk about The Devil in the Dark from first season. Eric, uh, you're on a roll. Why don't you, uh, why don't you, why don't you <laughs> give us an opener on this one? Okay, I won't. <laughs> I won't get on the soapbox again. You talk, no, I'm um, sorry you missed that. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, uh, I I would rank it in uh, as probably one of the best in the series. Uh, maybe in like the top 20. Perhaps better than that, but I'd say certainly in the top 20. And uh, interestingly, it uh, was Major Barrett Roddenberry's favorite episode. And I got to uh, meet her and hear her uh, speak at a Trek convention one time. And it wasn't long after uh, Jean died. I think it was in 1990. uh, It was either, I I think it was very early in um, 1993. And he died uh, like October 1992. And uh, she was remarkably upbeat. And ironically, the the first time we did uh, this podcast, uh, it was uh, very shortly after she died. Uh, well, now that we're we're redoing it, uh, that just came to mind. And her reason for uh, this being her favorite episode was that uh, she said, at its core, it's about mother love. And I, I would say that is true. Uh, it's certainly couched in uh, uh, a very distinct science fiction concept and story, but at its heart, it, I would say it, it's dually um, about mother love and uh, that whole fear of the unknown or misunderstanding because of communication differences uh, between humans and aliens, uh, which has certainly been a uh, well, a staple of science fiction and Star Trek for as long as I can remember. Good, good. Um, I'll go ahead and start out by saying this is a classic. I think it's deservedly rated that way. It's It's got such a great message behind it that, that again, as Eric mentioned, the, the mother-love theme and the we-can-work-together optimism. I think that that Star Trek uh, certainly had pretty continuously, but this this episode really spells it out. That despite communication problems, um, dealing with a life form that, as they go out of their way to point out, is really completely alien and unknown to us, that we can find a way to um, coexist and and maybe down the road benefit. It, it's it's got. Um, it, t- it touches on certain aspects of uh, um, endangered species and genocide and other things like that. Um, it's a great Spock episode, very, very obviously. Again, two, two in a row here. We have big Leonard Nimoy um, acting chops, as Rob pointed out last time, um, are, are on display. Um, it's the mind meld used to really good effect. And it, it the, everything comes together very, very well. And it, it, it's also a good, um, good, good dramatic story. 
So, um, I, I really, I, I, I've always found the Horda effect, the, the, the giant carpeted pizza lasagna, lasagna yes, uh, wrong dish, um, always kind of a little bit giggle inducing, <laughs> even, even growing up, I, I, I thought it was a little silly. Not, not that I could think of how they could have made it any more convincing. <laughs> that that's just wasn't in the cards. So that that's fine. But but really, it's good. The uh, the 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 miners and engineers and all that on the on the planet are they they seem like very stock characters out of you know out of old old timey TV and movies. The way the way they act and everything. Um. Yeah. That that's okay. I mean, they're 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 not supposed to be Starfleet, which uh, that that some I think in this particular episode works works in its favor. So overall, I I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Rob, what do you think? Uh, I agree with with everything that's been said, and um, yeah, this is one of the best episodes for for a number of reasons because it um, the theme is such a a powerful one, a compelling one, and it's it's one that sets. Star Trek apart from a lot of other science fiction and especially science fiction that's produced today just doesn't have the same optimism that we, um, and one of the things I was sort of thinking about ways that I could, so sort of final ruminations on, on the original series and what it's meant to me. And one of the things that I, I think of is when I was a a kid watching the show, it was both terrifying, but also reassuring to me. Because it it said the the universe is filled with these all these really really scary things, but there it showed me that they can be overcome and they can be and they can turn out to be things that you don't understand. Um, once you understand them, can turn out to be wonderful things. And so it's just it's that um, that is the real value of this to me. That's why I think it's enduring. That's what the real value of it to me. And so the Hordas, so this episode with the Horda is, is just a, a really shining example of it. And not that this isn't, not that that's, this is the only episode in which that theme is, I mean, it, it runs throughout Star Trek. Some episodes are more pessimistic, right? We have episodes in which the, the crew has to defeat and destroy the enemy, you know, where there's no, it isn't misunderstanding, you know. It's just a fight for survival, and and those are also those. There's a lot of great episodes like that too, but this one is um, this one really stands out, and it's it's a great Spock episode, and like it's, a lot of the the best episodes are Spock episodes because Spock is a great character, and it it's a great Spock episode in a lot of ways because it's about it's a scientific mystery, and f- for me that's. I like it when the crew, the crew together solves problems and and their science related problems. So we we also have this great part of it with Scotty solving a problem um, in a really clever way. Which and McCoy is and McCoy as well. So it's like it's it's showcasing group efforts of the crew and like and and they're all they're all being creative and and improvising in the moment in this just amazing way. Uh, and so, and it's also about Spock's, not only Spock's, um, empathy for other, so despite his, despite the fact that he's, you know, this logic, logic focused being, he's also ironically more empathetic than he's the first one to, to try to 
to really try to understand what's going on. He's the first one who figures out, or at least speculates, that the silicon nodules are the eggs, you know. Now, so my, so my I, of course, I always have to uh, <laughs> get to, I always have to criticize, so I can't help it. Um, so my, I sort of feel like, I wonder, I sort of wondered whether Shatner was doing, putting a little bit of pressure on in this one, because it's, Sp Spock sort of figures it out early, but he doesn't reveal it. He doesn't even reveal his theory. And part of it is that we want to keep the audience in suspense, right? If Spock figures it out too early, then that, that just cuts off all of the, the suspense and we want it to be developed gradually. But um, I think it's Spock certainly, it, it would have made more sense for Spock to, to, spill, to just say, this is what I think. And that, so that seemed unrealistic to me. Yeah, um, but, you know, he said that, or Kirk asked him, you know, what do you think? And he says something to the effect of, you know, I'm still considering it. And and that's, but that's in character for Spock, because, uh, I mean, something of that enormity, he's not going to uh, voice his suspicions, his hypothesis, until, I mean, he's a scientist, until he has enough evidence and until he is reasonably sure that he's right, um, he's going to, he's not going to say anything, particularly because of the potential consequences. Doesn't go out on limbs. I see that. Um, it did, I thought it was handled well. I mean, I, I didn't think it was, um, but it does sort of, and part of it's just knowing, knowing a lot about how the show was made and sort of the, by this point, we, the tension between, you know, Spock's popularity had exploded. And so there was a lot of tension between Shatter and Nimoy on this. And so Kirk, of course, has to figure it out too. Um, and he's the one who, who has to, I mean, I do think that the, the, again, something that they did in Arena, they did in this episode as well, which really works is they have Kirk at the beginning pushing for the confrontational position like we have to kill this thing it's a threat and spock being the one who says wait a second this could be uh, he puts it he puts it in an odd way so instead of saying well that would have been if we wipe this creature out that would be um crime against science genocide mm -hmm. he says it's a crime against yeah. science so it's a really <laughs> odd odd way to put it but i mean i think that at the time they probably couldn't find the right word for what what is it what do you call Killing the last of a species. Um, genocide. It's genocide, right? That's that would be the or, word. Or even in the man trap, if you want to. Yeah, yeah, right. It was the last one. I mean, it's it's interesting to compare this with the man trap. Yeah. In fact, they even it's funny because they have a they they have the the opening scenes where Kirk is definitely on the side of the miners. We have to get that mining operation going again. There's a danger. We need to destroy it. I don't care about the science or that it's this unusual creature. And um, the the tables get turned just a little bit when Kirk encounters the Horda, and is uh, you know at a standoff with it, and he's talking to Spock on the communicator, and Spock is out of very genuine concern for the captain, is is saying you know kill it now, don't you know don't fuck around. <laughs> at this point, he's like, oh, I don't care about this, you know. Jim killed the creature, and it's like, and Kirk gets to go. Maybe I've come, you know. Maybe this will work out after all. <laughs> so Kirk gets to get gets to do a little bit of that too. He gets to be the. But it uh, is a fun. Yeah. The the switch is really fun to yeah, see. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, feel forced at all. No, it's and it's 
it's really good when you see a character, and that's why they do it. Like they they did it they did it in Arena as well, and it's it's a great way. And to, it's I think it's actually handled yeah. you know more realistically yeah. here. Yeah, probably. We get the famous comment: "I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer." <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I, I also enjoy the um, some of the the little details in the dialogue when he's talking to the the, the miners and engineers where. They make a comment. It's like, well, we're not the Enterprise, and all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, you guys come in and your starship, and <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we're the blue collar guys. <laughs> that that's fine. I, I I was just looking the the guy who gets killed near the beginning of the episode, Schmitty. Schmitter. Schmitter. Yeah, that's Schmitty. Schmitter. <laughs> his his Schmitter. the actor's name is Biff, <laughs> <laughs> and. Biff Tan. Yeah, it should be. But he he I was looking up his uh, his bio and he uh, says he was a uh, prominent fixture in classic war films of the 1950s and 60s, which is exactly what I thought of when I saw him in this episode. This guy should be on some, you know, World War II Navy drama or something like that where he's he's he gets blown up or something like that. <laughs> he's 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 this this kind of uh, you know maybe he's a private or something like that, or he's just kind of, he's, he's the guy that has a few lines and then he gets, you know, the the Japanese kill him or something like that. (laughs) It, it, either him or people that acted like him seem to pop up in those movies a lot. And so I think that, that they thought of this maybe when they needed, when they did the casting for this and said, well, we need this Schmitter character who gets killed in the, in the opening (laughs) of the episode. So let's get this guy. (laughs) it's funny and he acted in um tv and movies with a number of other trek alumni including deforest kelly and jeffrey hunter he was in a he was in two movies with jeffrey hunter hmm which were they uh the true story of jesse james and a movie called Brainstorm, not not from 1965, not not the Doug, Doug Trumbull one. So anyway, no, Brainstorm wasn't 1965. Yeah, there was a movie in 1965 called Brainstorm. Oh, not I see. The Doug Trumbull, Natalie Wood, Chris Walken one. Yeah, the 80s one was not a remake; just has the same title. All you ever wanted to know about Biff. <laughs> so do you guys what do you guys think is there any misogyny in this one i was just gonna ask that and uh, are there any women at all in it i don't think so is uhura even in it because i I don't think there's any enterprise scenes except maybe at the very end yeah maybe so no um, I think that one. This is neutral. <laughs> There's, yeah. In, unless you want to say, well, there weren't any. There was no agony to be missed. No, no, there were no no women at all. In this one, well, if you guys don't have anything else about this episode, you know, Rob mentioned saying what what the series meant to him and everything. Do you have anything to say about about the series in general before we conclude our last? Star Trek the original series podcast I, I would point out that I'm sure we will be back on Star Trek but maybe not original series yeah well we talked about doing uh, some selections from the next generation and I think we should uh, 
at least talk about some of the movies. Yeah, the movies are, are always great to talk about. Um, they're they're obviously a natural extension of what we've been discussing here. And that as a public service announcement, I just read today that uh, Netflix has lost all of the Star Trek movies. Oh, really? Yeah, as of, as oh, of July fuck. 1st, they're all on Amazon now. That's kind of the sign of the times where stuff never never sticks around. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we all have copies. <laughs> uh, most of them. Mm-hmm. I can hook you up. <laughs> well, you know, uh, what Star Trek has meant to me, uh, as I think I've mentioned before, some of my... It, it, part of it for me is, is nostalgia because some of my earliest memories are of watching Star Trek with my dad and my brother. The What you touched on, Rob, uh, the sense of wonder, uh, that that has always been very uh, powerful for me in Star Trek. Um, like Errand of Mercy, for instance, or the Doomsday Machine. Uh, the, 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 it just goes on and on. Uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, especially for my young mind, uh, it was very awe-inspiring. And that that's always stuck with me. I think uh, that that and being a bibliophile probably, um, well, Star Trek and just loving to read, probably has had the biggest influence on, uh, especially in my early life, on my imagination. And I can't, I can't imagine my life without appreciating that sen- the sense of wonder that certain Star Trek episodes or certain books or movies can evoke. And it's, it's also affected me in, uh, in loving to write myself and, and being able to come up with stories and ideas that are, are imaginative. So that, uh, the, what it has done for uh, Star Trek, particularly when I was young, what it did for my imagination and uh, my great appreciation for a sense of, you know, things that evoke a sense of wonder, uh, I can't, I, I can't estimate how impactful that has been on my life. And also what you mentioned about the positive aspect of Trek, and I, I heard Roddenberry speak about this a few times, and it was that that underlying but pervasive idea that we weren't going to blow ourselves up, that we weren't going to go out in a giant nuclear flash, that we would outgrow our what are ostensibly petty problems and survive and thrive and colonize the galaxy and um, improve the human condition and we're, we're gonna make I it don't, after all yeah yeah that and it, it, it was kind of uh, what I said uh, just to bookend it what I when I was talking about Majel Barrett uh, one of the things that has always stuck with me uh, was when she was at that convention and was speaking, somebody asked her a question about whether or not Jean really believed we would outgrow our 
childhood as a as a species as a race as a civilization and she replied that toward the end of his life jean believed still believed fervently that we could survive that we could grow out of our infancy but he had begun to doubt whether or not we would that's an interesting distinction and it's kind of it's kind of depressing but uh i think it's worth noting um and with that uh you can have the mic john <laughs> oh thank you well that's good i i eric i think that's a great great summary there i we obviously all of us have a lot of nostalgia attached to star trek and you you just can't help it since we got into it at such early ages <clears throat> and that's and i i know that happens uh with with certain things but for some reason this show has had the power um to really get its hooks into you like few other things do and so that it, it combined that with our with our impressionable minds um it it, it certainly has had a lot of eff effects on us and <clears throat> i just really have a lot of memories of just of, of, of just watching this show on some shitty old television set and still getting lost in it and 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 just you know it, it allowed enough of your imagination to to play it it, it had great characters and just and the effects seemed seemed really cool at the time even though by the time we saw them they weren't really that advanced if if you think about it, if you really get into it but it 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 was enough and and there were, there was enough there that it could really really latch on and and i i just i know there were so many episodes where you you could do so much uh reading between the lines in your in your mind when you thought about them and that that's something that few other entertainments at the time had we we've talked endlessly about how how powerful the, the the characters and the ideas and uh, the stories and everything in the, in the show are, but uh, it and and how it's held on so long and that that's huge. And it's there have been many many science fiction books, films, television shows before and after, but almost none of them have had that power. And I think it was the the right time, the the right people doing it, and it just it it just clicked. And for that, I think we all you know culturally owe Roddenberry and company a huge debt. It's 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 a part of all of our lives. You know, and one thing that I've come to understand <clears throat> lately that I didn't understand before is, and a lot of it is from reading the These Are the Voyages books. Um, but it's what uh, what a tremendous amount of uh, personal sacrifice went into making the series good. Um, basically, the two show what we would now call showrunners um, got burned out very very quickly by the show, um, and so trying to produce this quality of you know every everything that came into that that went into it from the special effects to the the scripts to the story ideas to, to managing the popularity of the show and then the you know, trying to manage the network and 
and all of these things that go into creating something that's enduring and of, of very high quality is is can you know comes at a, at a high personal cost. And Gene Roddenberry got burned out in the first season. Gene Kuhn got burned out in the second season, uh, and so it really it really was um, to make. I don't know if it's always true that to make something great, you need to sacrifice, but. There certainly was a lot of sacrifice, and 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 they and they also this, this was a show that attracted talent, and a lot of the the guest stars on these shows, you know, guest actors were very very good, and that that's one thing that has that I've come to realize just isn't common on shows that have you know that have most shows just are terribly cast now, um, and. They they they're cast for all the wrong reasons, you know. Um, but but for a show to to be this well cast and and to have and then to have to bring in such great actors um, is is really an accomplishment in in itself. So despite all all of the difficulties they had, and and to you know, go back to the the SNL sketch we mentioned the other last week or whenever where where Shatner tells off the. The, the the convention goers and goes it, it's just a tv show well you know it is but it isn't <laughs> that's true that's very it, true it, it, it totally is it's a funny joke and yes it's a tv show but it it's grown f- so far beyond that and it, you know on one level yes it's just a tv show but it's been very meaningful to millions of of people because uh, you know the the optimism the the positive message uh, that I consider you know it premiered in 1966 and ended in 1969. Look at all of the you know that was the height of the Vietnam War the the Tet Offensive uh, the assassination of J or Robert Kennedy and um, and Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, I think even uh, I'm trying to remember Malcolm X when Malcolm X and uh, Medgar Evers were both assassinated. But you know that that incredible ferment of of social and political activity. Um, you know the the man moon shot. Uh, all of that. Um, it was the right message, the right kinds of stories at the right time. And we we dismiss, uh, and you, you talked about this, Rob, but we dismiss uh, the enormity of, of what, um, what Roddenberry put on the screen. Uh, you know, and I've, I've said this before, but he had a black female officer on the bridge we don't think anything about that now in 1966 that was incredible the i mean the very thought of having a character in that kind of position um even though i mean by today's standards you could call it you know that it was you could say it was tokenism you could say it, uh, the way they treated her was frequently misogynistic or sexist but you know, for for 1966, I mean, I mean, I wasn't even alive then. I didn't live through it. But things that I've read, people that I've talked to, things that I've seen, um, 
the the level of overt racism and sexism at that time what is it it's mind-boggling it's it's something that uh we would find shocking and um deeply offensive so even though we trivialize uh what uh, Roddenberry managed to portray and put on the screen, um, it's still a huge accomplishment and one that uh, that deserves uh, a place in history, and I'm sure it will have it. Yeah, I, I that that's that's huge, and and I, I you, you there are other television shows that have that that are well representative of the era they were produced in, but I doubt that many or really maybe any of them have had the staying power because they, they either have just dated too much or they they just don't people don't relate to them anymore you know i i think if you go back i mean look at uh, all in the family very important show of the 1970s it it, it you know it, it it was significant but i think people have a really hard time watching that today it it, it hasn't aged well in other ways even even though you can you you can analyze it and look look at it that it was important and it had something to say and and, and it broke new ground for sure, but as entertainment, it hasn't had the staying power that Star Trek has had, and it's even as a sitcom. And so I that that's another thing about that that's amazing about Trek is that it you don't you it isn't just the oh look you know it was look how amazing it was that Roddenberry cast Nichelle Nichols it's also it's just still really entertaining to watch it's still good yeah <laughs> you, know? It, you know and that that kind of goes back to what we've talked about with regards to storytelling and one thing that I've noticed about um, TV shows well and both TV shows and movies uh, in that era that we were talking about, you know, the early mid 60s to mid uh mid late 70s is that even though there were there were plot holes even though for the science fiction shows uh things that they suggested were questionable if not ludicrous they still managed to do a good job at the basic storytelling. You know, Taking, you know, um, setting up plot elements and carrying through on them, um, having a discernible storyline all the way through the episode or the movie, um, uh, you know, good character development, things such as that. Uh, lately, I, I, I've realized that, you know, uh, unless the plot holes or the, the science is just utterly ridiculous... I can forgive a lot if they still do a good job with the storytelling. And Star Trek, notably, typically did a, a, a really good job just telling an entertaining, engrossing, fun story. Right, right. And that, that's one of the reasons why it endures beyond just a, a footnote in cultural history. Indeed. Indeed. You guys have anything else? Or do you want to wrap it up? You can wrap it up for now. Yeah, we're going to be um, back. For now, um, we'll be we, back. It, it, we're leaning toward diving into Stanley Kubrick or something like that. We'll see. 
but um, this this does it for Star Trek for now, and it's it's been amazing. We we fortunately <laughs> didn't take an entire ten years to finish. So. <laughs> Not <laughs> Thank quite. Jesus for that. Yes. <laughs> Good Thank God. Pitchforks <laughs> and pointed ears. <laughs> but it was my cross circuit to channel B. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well guys it's it's been great going through all these yes it has and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do some more and thanks again for suggesting and and managing all this John. oh my my pleasure yeah and keeping it going for pushing us along <laughs> it's been a struggle <laughs> uh, i'm sure it has yes indeed uh, so good night good, good night, night.